Man, I am uh, I'm really glad to be here, and I, I say this, and I, I, I truly mean it, that um, this is my second favorite place to preach. If I'm not going to be at Logos Community Church in Harlingen, man, I love, I love being over here in McAllen with my, my storehouse family. Um, you know, before we get into the, the sermon this morning, I, I just, it is good, I don't know if you feel this way, I hope you feel this way, it is good to be with God's people. I maintain, and I know that, man, we, we all have our own individual things that we're to do to read scripture and to pray for our families and do devotions and, and all of that, but I maintain that what we do here on Sunday mornings is like the most important thing in the week when God's people gather, uh, and, and, and it's, it's the time when the saints gather to be instructed and built up by one another, encouraged by one another, and then the church is sent out into the world. And so I pray that, that uh, you value this time with the brothers and sisters, with the saints. Um, it's super, super important. And, uh, and l- let's just pray that God is going to do something among his people this morning um, as we sit under his word. So I don't know if you've ever conf- been confronted with this idea, but there's a question sometimes, is, is Christianity slavery? You might have experienced this. I can remember uh, being, a, being a young Christian and being in the Marine Corps and going to like a conference and being with other, other guys that I, I really enjoyed. And, you know, we might go out to dinner and um, at some point maybe we would, you know, and I'd, I'd try to just go along with everyone. And then there'd be a point maybe 10 or 10.30 or 11 at night where, hey, we were done with dinner and, and those things. And now it was on to the next thing. And maybe the next thing was a strip club or something, and I would politely bow out, you know, and I would, I would know, okay, hey, guys, man, uh, uh, I'm going to, you guys be safe, I'm going to head to the, the hotel. Um, and I would perhaps get this question, oh, man, you're one of those guys. And, and why would you do that? Because aren't you kind of, Jeff, isn't, isn't that restrictive? Isn't that bondage? Isn't that, like, you being a Christian, isn't that slavery? I mean, that's, that's what people think, right? That Christianity is confining and binding, and, and they don't understand that it's freedom. But, but might I say that I think a lot of Christians don't understand that it's freedom as well. And so Philip Ryken is a, is a theologian, and he, he writes of the, this group called the Tayukas that are they're in the eastern jungles of Guatemala and so they were working with some translators um, on, on the Bible that they're they're on the border of, of uh, Colombia I'm sorry Colombia and Brazil and they're working with this missionary to help translate the Bible into their native language and they were having trouble understanding salvation by grace and they said if if all we have to do to be saved is to believe what then? Like, how do we live after that? Can you resonate with that question? Like, okay, I get it that, that it's the work of Christ, but then what, what do I do for the next 50, 60, 70 years? Like, how do I live? What does grace mean? How do I live going forward? And they learned that to truly live their faith meant obeying the will of God, not because they were slaves that are looking to satisfy a master, because they are children who want to please their father. 
This is, if you're not Catholic this morning, if you're a Protestant, this is what the whole deal was about. This was, um, this was the whole battle was how is a man or woman made okay before God, made justified uh, in front of God. It was the issue, and, and, and so what the, the, the protesters, what the reformers said is it's justification by grace alone. Sola gratia. And so last week, I didn't listen to the sermon, but I looked over Nathaniel's notes, and what, what a fantastic passage. He made the point, or the, the passage makes the point that God, this is incredible, no other religion is like this, that God sent His Son that you and I might become sons and daughters. God sent His Son to adopt now you and I as sons and daughters. And not only sons and daughters, but full heirs. The Bible calls us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's incredible. I, I pray that if you miss that sermon, you listen to it. Because that's like, I mean, you, people ask, well, how do I get through a tough week? That's how you get through a tough week. Knowing, wait, I'm no common thing anymore. I am I literally a son or daughter of God. That's what God did for you. We're in the book of John in, in uh, Logos, and in the, one of the first weeks, we were in John chapter 1, verse 12, and th this is true again. It says, but, all, but to all who did receive him, so if you're a Christian today, that's you, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You'll notice like if there is a, a, a great calamity or catastrophe, you know, 9-11 or something like that. And, you know, some politician will stand up and he'll say, you know, we, he'll give some generic prayer to some generic God. And he'll say, you know, we're all chir children of God. And, you know, that's not really true. All created by God, yes. But this, this verse in John says, no, God has given specific people by Jesus Christ to be sons and daughters. Everybody is not a son or daughter in that way. And so the issue in the passage this morning that we're going to dig into is, is the Galatians, just like that, that tribe in the eastern jungles of Colombia, need to know what does it look like to live now as a redeemed son or daughter? Now that I'm justified, now that I'm, I'm, I'm made right before God, how do I live and what happens when legalism creeps in? How do I handle the gospel versus moralism and, and rules? And, and here's, here's what's at stake. One, one path leads back to slavery and one path leads to freedom. That's the case that Paul is arguing for this morning. And this whole letter... This whole letter to the Galatians, I, I call it, it is the legalism killer. It is the, le in fact, theologians called it for centuries the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. The Magna Carta of Christian liberty. And so today, two, two things really I hope that we, we get. One is to remember as a Christian what has happened. To remember all that has happened now that we're sons and daughters, and two, to be fully aware of the danger that lurks. And it lurked for the Galatians in the first century, and it lurks for you and I today. 
And so I'm going to go back and read through the passage. The first thing to remember is that they have moved from slavery to freedom. Listen to what Paul says. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature were not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I don't know if you've seen the Shawshank Redemption movie in like mid-1990s. I think one of the, and I, it's not just me, I think, I think, you know, on lists, it's usually listed as like one of the, the top, movies of all time probably one of the top five like movies of redemption certainly um and for me there's this defining scene this guy's i won't spoil the whole thing for you but this guy's in prison he he breaks out well that's kind of spoiling it for you he breaks out after decades um you know and he'd been falsely incarcerated and so how he breaks out in this dramatic way he crawls in a thunderstorm through 500 yards of sewage pipe and you can you you, you can hear him and it captures it, it poignantly he he's he's vomiting as he's and he's he's climbing through a half a mile of sewage pipe he emerges into this pond kind of comes out and he staggers for like you know 20 yards and then just as the rain's pouring down he like raises his hands to the sky like he's free after decades so imagine this is the gravity that Paul is wrestling with. If, if Andy Dufresne, that's the character in the movie, would say, that's awesome. Now, let me climb 500 yards back through the sewer after tasting freedom. That's the issue that is at stake for Paul. And so Philip Ryken, again, calls, calls this book, this is, or this letter, he says, this letter is for recovering Pharisees. And when you're in recovery, the danger is that you will relapse. You'll, you'll go back to what you were freed from. And so what happened, Paul's addressing, he says, you know, you were enslaved to those by nature who were not gods. They had come, these, these, these Gentiles had come out of worshiping a lot of pagan gods, either Hellenistic uh, religions or, or the Roman imperial court, occult or pagan deities of Greece. There was in, in Lystra, there was a, a big temple of Zeus. In Iconium, there, there was worship of the goddess Dendamini. There was like the goddess Artemis. And so there was a lot of pagan god and goddess worship. They had been worshiping the spirits of the earth and air and water. And so here's what Paul's saying. Your, your prior paganism was slavery. You were a slave. And that was, that was marked by you not knowing the real God and that real God not knowing you. That's who you were, Gent Gentile Christians, before in your former life. That's who you were. And he says now the, the temptation is you are going back, not necessarily to paganism, but to legalism or moralism. That what was happening, the Judaizers, and you guys have probably discussed this, were coming behind Paul and saying, hey, man, we love what's going on, um, but now we need to get you guys circumcised. 
And now, not only that, you need to start obeying all of the Jewish laws and the festivals and all that. So good start, but now let's finish the deal and get you guys fully righteous and fully holy. All right, that's what was happening. They weren't, so Paul's not warning them. There wasn't a big move where they were going back to worshiping Zeus or back to worshiping the Roman imperial cult. That's not the danger. The danger is they were beginning to say, you know what? We need to help Jesus out a little bit so we'll be righteous before the Father. Um, You know, in the, in, the, in the five solas, we did a sermon series several years ago. I don't know if y'all did that here. I can't remember. I think we did that together, yeah, at the anniversary of the Reformation. And the late, great R.C. Sproul said about the five solas, he said the issue is never about whatever that particular one is. It's, it's the word alone. So the Catholics would agree, yes, in Scripture, yes, by grace. Yeah, it's, it's when you add the word alone. And so the Galatians were tempted to say, yes, we love grace, and let's add some performance to it. That's what's happening. And specifically, Paul addresses, like, you guys are starting to worship, like, specific days and months and seasons and years. This is how you'll be really spiritual. You'll, you'll, in other words, you guys did that with pagan gods. You had certain festivals and dates and stuff, and now you're being tempted to just turn that performance onto the Jewish calendar and worship, worship those things and, and trust in those things for your righteousness before God. And it, we would think, well, man, they would never do that, right? But people do that today. I have a, a good friend that uh, he's African-American. I, I mention that because he's, he's getting caught up in, if you're familiar with this thing called Hebrew Israelites. And, and, and so I'm seeing him post things and, and post a lot of things about, hey, we should, as the people of God, go back and do these certain things and worship. And, and one time I just got fed up on Facebook and I said, hey, brother, go read the book of Galatians and then get back to me. Just do that. Like, don't, don't try to cherry pick different verses. Just go read the whole letter of Galatians and get back to me about all these things we're, quote, supposed to do. And so you, you, the, the, this issue with dates and festivals, I, I just want to address this because sometimes people still do that today. And you, you might ask, is it wrong? Well, let's see what the, Paul, the same guy, said to see, is it, is it wrong to necessarily uh, 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 you know, observe a feast or something? Look what Paul said in Romans chapter 14. He says, one person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike. So some people think there's special, you know, attention should be paid to a day, and some don't. Um, Paul says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. The issue for Paul was not really, hey, you guys are are observing this festival. Paul would have had no problem with that. We see what he instructed the Romans. The problem was intent. It's the same today. I mean, you want to observe a festival? Go for it. Rejoice. Praise God for that. The problem is if you begin to think, you know what? I'm a little bit more righteous than than Jonathan because Jonathan didn't observe the feast. God, look at me. Check your boy out. I'm doing all the feasts. 
I got circumcised. See, that's the issue is intent. It's not whether you do that thing and you're just doing it as a, as a worship unto God. It's when you begin to think, I am, I've just stepped up a little notch in righteousness towards God. That's the issue. Another theologian, Richard Longnecker, said, For Paul, whatever leads one away from soul reliance on Christ whether based on good intentions or depraved desires, whatever it is that leads a person away from soul reliance on Christ is sub-Christian and therefore to be condemned. See, the issue is intent and thinking, if, I, if it's Jesus plus anything, Paul would condemn it, and so should we. And so Paul, you can hear him, he's, he's vexed. He asks rhetorically. We know he's asking rhetorically because Paul loved these people and Paul was loyal to, to the people who had led to Christ. But he's like, did, did, I, did I labor in vain for you? Did I evangelize and bring the gospel and care for you in vain? We, we know he didn't, but he's, he's, he's perplexed. Why would you guys crawl back through the sewer pipe, is what he's asking, when you've tasted freedom? So the first thing, then, that I want you to see, that it's true about the Galatians, but it's going to be very true for us, is it's very easy to fall back into slavery, either into worshiping false gods that you used to love, or, see, here's, here's what it's easy to miss, or into legalism and self-righteousness it's very easy i mean this was just years after paul had shared the gospel with these people and they're already trying to add to the gospel it's very easy to do that all right so they need to remember something else that they loved the gospel let's look at uh, verses 12 through 16 Paul says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So the first thing Paul says you need to remember is you guys loved me. Now, apparently some of you are starting to say, hey, I'm not sure if we can trust Paul. He's maybe not spiritual enough or his message is not complete enough. And Paul's like, it was not that long ago you guys were zealous in your affection to me. Now, what, what was going on? He says, you loved me despite my condition. Well, what was his condition? We're not exactly sure. Some say, you know, it might have been malaria. Um, it might have been some other disease. There's a lot of people that think that Paul struggled with some issue with his eye and his eyesight. I think from we're going to see here in, in what he says, but also there, there's some other passages 
that would allude to that, that maybe Paul's thorn in the flesh was some problem with his eye. And it would kind of make sense because in this culture, the eye was like the most important part of a man. Whatever it was, there was apparently some like some type of deformity or Paul was not real good to look at. I, I, I think it's hilarious, this, well, it's sad, this, this idea that um, to be a leader in the church today, you know, uh, in some places you've got to like dress a certain way or you've got to be physically attractive. And most accounts say Paul was not. You know, most accounts say uh, the Bible says Jesus was not much to look at. And so, so Paul had some deformity, um, and here's what he says. Even though in that, in that culture, eyesight was such a big deal, and, and when you had an infirmity, it was assumed that that was the result of a, a demon, that people would scorn you, people would even, the word says, man, spit on you. And Paul says, you guys didn't do that. You didn't despise me. You didn't spit on me or, or say, hey, man, nobody touched Paul because he's, he's been attacked by a demon. In fact, you received me as an angel of God. In, I might even argue you, you received me as Jesus Christ. Like you showed me the same affection one would show Christ. And you would have, and he's exaggerating here, but he's just saying, man, you guys loved me so well it's as if you would have gouged your own eyes out if you could to give them to me. Man, they, these guys loved Paul. And you might ask why. And I think one reason is this is what happens when you've been changed by the gospel. And I would even argue if you have not, like if you've not begun to love that way, um, if you find yourself not really loving, well, first thing I would do is, is ask you to go read 1 John but, but then I would ask you to ponder, have you truly been born again? And I'm not saying you don't have an outburst now and then, or there's a person that's maybe, oh, you have to confess, it's a little hard for you to love, they did you wrong. But I'm just saying if in general, you, you, you don't love in a supernatural way that's different than you did before Christ, it might be that you've not been changed by the gospel. So one, for, for one reason, that, that's why they loved Paul so well, because... They had been changed by the gospel. But, but the second and probably more important reason is they loved the message he brought. They loved the gospel, Paul is saying. It's like, you guys were so enraptured by the gospel, you would have taken your eyes out and given them to me. You guys were all about the gospel. You know, when a weary sinner really understands who God is, and who they are in light of God. When that first happens, and I'm not sure when it happened to you, but I remember in a room in Quantico, Virginia, as a, as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps, I had been in church my entire life, thought I was good, and that's when it became very clear to me, God is high and holy, and I am a sinner. And when you realize that, it's like, it's like a bucket of cold water for, for a man that's been wandering in the desert. And, and, and Paul had brought a message of freedom and of healing and of peace that no one else ha had brought. And, and Paul says, you loved it and you loved me. What happened? What happened then? Well, these Judaizers came right behind Paul. And they said, man, again, this is awesome. Now, 
We just need to take it a step further. If you will just begin to act like us, do these ceremonies, come to these feasts, um, you can really be in the club. That's what happened. And here's the point Paul's making, and it's true for us today. You cannot tolerate a little bit of legalism. You can't. Just like you don't tolerate a little bit of sin. You can't tolerate a a small return to the law. You, You cannot add just a little bit to the gospel. What you do is you don't just have the gospel plus a little bit of stuff on the side. You have something that is in opposition to the gospel. You understand that? When you do that and you say, well, just to be safe, I'll, you know, uh, my, my friend has the gospel, but just to be safe, I'm going to add some other rules on their life so they don't stray. What Paul's saying is you have, you have bastardized the gospel. You have made the God, you, what you've done is added a curse. This is no small matter, church. He's, he's basically saying, don't go back. If you go back, that is a bad place. That's, that's the place of the enemy. It is in opposition to the gospel. It's not just adding a little to the It's in opposition to the gospel. Listen to what Martin Luther said. I love how, because again, you're probably trying to ask, well, how do I act? Listen to what Martin Luther said. I do not seek my own act of righteousness. I ought to have and perform it. Like I ought to do good things, but I don't seek my active performance. I declare that even if I did have it and perform it, I cannot trust in it or stand up before the judgment of God on the basis of it. Thus, I embrace only the righteousness of Christ, which we do not perform but receive which we do not have but accept when God the Father grants it to us through Jesus Christ. Martin Luther is saying, when I stand before God, I am counting on one thing, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I will not say, and God, let me show you my tithe list, because I've been tithing for decades. I will not show you how I served in storehouse kids. And, and Jesus' work on the cross and my good works, I, I know that I'm good, God. He would, Martin Luther says I would not do that. Paul would not do that. Christians should not do that. And so the second thing I want you to see, it is easy to forget loving the gospel and fall back to loving self-justification. Look what a good Christian I am. I am checking all the boxes. God must be very pleased with me. If you're a Christian, God is pleased with you, but he's pleased with you because of Christ. He's pleased with you because of Christ. So, so, so now what is the danger? Let's finish the passage. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you, that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. There's a warning, right? 
I don't know if you watched this show. I, I think it's coming back now or has, has started to come back, but it was popular years ago. It was called Intervention. It was on A&E, and I would just get caught up. My wife would say, I don't want to watch another one of those. I would say, I know, let me just watch two minutes. Well, then all of a sudden we'd be for an hour, and she'd be as into it as I would, and like, oh, my gosh, is this girl going to get help? And it was a story where, where um, addicts would agree to be like a documentary about their addiction, they didn't know that the story would end with like a, a professional intervention and all their family in a room with an interventionist and like, hey, if you will quit, you know, if you will get on this bus right now and go to this treatment center, we'll pay for it. But I, I was just, it was, it was like gripping to see people. Man, they would, they would give up everything. They would leave their children. They would do everything um, for, for that addiction. And the, that's the... the danger for the Galatians is that they'll be so addicted to performing and to working for the gods that they'll go back to it. And it's a danger for you and I. And so the Judaizers, their goal is to flatter the Galatians and make much of them, but it's not for a good purpose. It's, it's so they'll, they have their own goals. And that's always the deal with flattery. If flattery is a sin. I don't know if you know that, but like it's good for us to say nice things to one another, meaningful things. But flattery, where I try to puff you up because I have an ulterior motive, I'm trying to get something out of you, is sinful. And that's what's going on. And they want, they want to shut the Galatians out. The Judaizers want to shut the Galatians out from Paul's influence and from his message. That's what they're, when he, when he says it sounds kind of clunky, um, when he says they want to shut you out, he's, he's really, I think, saying they want to keep you from me and my influence and the purity of the gospel. And, and Paul, again, just how he started, he says, I'm, I'm perplexed. I don't know what to do with you. But here's what I love. Again, you see this, this heart of Paul throughout the gospels and throughout the, his letters is um, the, the affection and the promise of loyalty. He's, he says, look, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm, I'm going to be like a mother in childbirth. And I will, and those of you who have experienced that, you know how painful it is, but you know the joy in it. And Paul says, I will be like that. I will go through that until I see Christ formed in you. I'm not going to get off this message. I'm not going to say, well, even though I'm perplexed, I hope the Judaizers, Judaizers can, can um, come in. I'll let the Judaizers come in and just have their way. He says, no, man, I'm going to drive a stake in the ground. I am not quitting. This issue is so important, and your soul is so important. I will, I will stay until I see Christ formed in you. He will not quit. He will not quit guarding and defending and warning about this issue. It's that critical. It's that critical. And so the last thing then is, it's, is see how easy it is to miss the lurking danger of legalism and moralism. It's real easy to miss the danger. And that really gets us to kind of for you and I. Like what do we want to take away from this? Um, because we're not just talking about the Galatians. This preaches in 2021 to the church. And I love a, a man named Paul Dunk said this about the church. He says, the church is not the gathering of the awesome. It's the gathering of the redeemed. 
the forgiven, the league of the guilty who have been saved by grace. I'm in that league. God's grace is made perfect in the acknowledgement of our sin and weakness, not the confession of self-proclaimed competence. Let me read that again one time and, and just see if you can capture the sense of this. God's grace is made perfect in the acknowledgement of our sin and weakness, not in the confession of our self-proclaimed competence. In other words, God is not looking down, waiting for you to present your grand spiritual resume to Him. He's looking down, hoping for your acknowledgement of your sin and your need and, your, and knowing that you need Christ. That's what he's looking for. Legalism and self-righteousness hates the gospel. These things are enemies. And so churches at every level, what should be happening up in the children's ministry, uh, Christians one to another, everybody has to be aware and hate legalism and moralism. Listen, as much as we hate sin, most of the time in churches, like, and maybe you grew up in this type of church. Oh, man, we, we, were, you know, you, we, can, um, we can tell you all the many things you're doing wrong, right? In if you grew up as a Baptist, you don't have dances, right? You have foot functions. Um, you know, there's a million other things that the Bible doesn't say, say that we begin to impose on people. And I'm just asking... Do you hate legalism and moralism as much as you hate sin? Legalism and moralism is not the gospel. It is not good news. It is not freedom. It's another gospel. In fact, Paul says elsewhere in this, in this letter, it, it's another gospel which is not a gospel. In fact, it's a curse. So I'm just ask you a couple questions as we leave this morning. First, do you hate the sin and idol worship that you were once enslaved to? I don't know what God called you out of, but do you hate it? I hope you do. We're not to love it. We're not to be attached or given to it. We're not to be in bondage anymore to it. I hope you hate whatever that was, lying or lusting or cheating, um, whatever it was, I hope you hate it. You should. You should. As a Christian. Now, do you hate legalism and self-righteousness the same, in the same way, to the same extent? Where are you this morning, where are you tempted to self-justify and be self-righteous? What areas do you find yourself, if you're honest, sometimes looking down your nose and like, can't believe she's doing that. She calls herself a Christian. She's just not quite at my level. If she would just wear what I wear, or if she would just kind of speak like I speak, or do perform like I perform. See, where are you personally tempted to be self-righteous or impose extra biblical laws? Well, I know the Bible doesn't really say it, but if you were a good Christian, you would do this. This is what God has shown me, and I think you should do it my way. 
We're not talking about sin now. We're talking about preferences. We're talking about adding to God's word. Where are you tempted to do that? Are you trusting this morning in Christ's work only, solely, for your standing as a good son or daughter of God? Or are you wanting to tell God just how awesome in a couple ways you are? And here's, here's the last thing that I will say for all of us. Here's when you get this, it does not lead to you loving sin and going back to sin. It doesn't. People, that's what people say. Well, Jeff, if you truly preach grace, people are going to run back and sin, think they can sin. It doesn't lead there. Here's where it should lead. It's to you worshiping God with every aspect of your life. Even your obedience is a worship offering to God. And you desire to now live faithfully and obediently because you're a son or daughter. You're in the family. You're back in the fold. You're no longer a hater of God or an enemy of God. You're a child of God. So why wouldn't you want everything to be an act of worship to him? Let's pray. Father, just as the Galatians were tempted to go back to legalism and moralism, if we're honest, we, we can too. In fact, we, we can be very quick to go back there. And Lord, we don't want to. Because if we begin to think that our righteousness adds to the righteousness of Christ, then Christ died in vain then we nullify the work of the cross. We don't want to do that. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. That's where our hope is, Lord. That's where our hope needs to stay. May we not add other things to ourselves, and may we not add other expectations to others. Thank you for your grace, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.